This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Hi, and welcome to You Love to See It, the Fanbyte podcast, where we watch things and then talk about them. <laughs> a pretty, pretty simple premise, really. I'm Merritt Kay, uh, Features and Trending Editor at Fanbyte.com, and joining me this week are Danielle Riando, EIC of Fanbyte. Hello. Hi, that's me. I'm excited that's to talk you. about this. It's me. That's you. It's a me. And Stephen Strom, Managing Editor of Fanbyte.com. Hi, the Tegu liker has logged on. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And this week we are discussing uh, Kim Ji Woon's The Good, The Bad, The Weird, a 2008 Korean Western action movie, which uh, uh, I actually first saw back in, I want to say 2009, 2010. I think this is one of the first movies I rented on Netflix when Netflix was still <gasps> DVD-based. Oh, shit! Wow. Yep, um, because when I moved to the States back then, back in 2009, uh, I was like, oh, Netflix, we don't have this. What is this? Oh. And, uh, and oh, what is Hulu? Because Canada didn't have any of those things back then and still sure. doesn't have Hulu or some other things, but... We- Mm, this yes. is a, th- that would be a total tangent if I went on to this, but that just blows my mind. <laughs> we have different ones that are bad, mostly. There was a whole thing for a few years where like Canadians were using proxies to get American Netflix and the telecom huh. companies in Canada were like, hey, don't do that. And people were just like, no, we're going to keep doing that. Wow. Uh, anyway... Uh, the Good, the Bad, the Weird premiered at the 2008 Cannes Film Festival. It had a limited release in uh, 2010 in the U.S. and received pretty positive reviews, uh, mostly focusing on the action and the cinematography. Yeah. And it's the second collaboration between the uh, the director, Kim Ji-woon, and the actor who plays the bad, uh, Lee Byung-hoon, who um, could literally kill me and i would <laughs> mm-hmm. be like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep yep uh-huh um so they've worked together uh, before this and they worked together again after it in uh kim's i saw the devil in 2010 oh right okay. Nice. okay have you seen that i've not seen it but i'm familiar with it okay cool uh so was this everyone's first time watching this movie like i said i've seen it before but i didn't remember a lot of it because it was like 10 years ago oh my god <laughs> yes. yeah same for me. Uh, first time. First time viewer. Long time listener. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and now, I haven't seen the film that inspired this movie, which is, of course, Sergio Leone's The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah. Mm. Have either of you seen that? Oh, yes. About 750 times. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Uh, Sergio Leone movies were like 
it was Sergio Leone and James Bond were like the two like bonding experience movies I had with me and my dad. We have very different tastes on most things, but like mm-hmm. um, the good, bad, the ugly, uh, the, the basically the whole man with no name trilogy plus uh, once upon a time in the West uh, were like huge in our household, like for sure. Nice. Uh, not nearly um, as many times, but I definitely it was definitely something I watched on like a Sunday afternoon because it was on whatever channel with my dad, you know, kind of hanging out like we watched a lot of movies that way. And that's where I got my appreciation of Westerns as well, but probably not 750 times. I, I cannot top that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I don't have my backloggery uh, profile open right now to tell you. <laughs> good, good. Very good. So, Um, yeah, the basic structure of this movie is that everyone wants this map and uh, what the map is exactly is not really that important. It turns out to be a map to uh, an oil uh, field, I guess. Spoilers for the very end of the movie. Spoilers for the very end of the movie. It doesn't matter, though, because the map is just the thing that everyone's after. It's like the MacGuffin. It's the Maltese Falcon. (laughs) And the three main characters that are pursuing it are the good... Uh, played by Jung Woo Sung, uh, who is sort of like a classic cowboy bounty hunter figure. He's like the Clint Eastwood. Yeah, kind of. totally. Um, He's the blondie, the the man with no name type character for sure. Right. Uh, and then we have the bad, who is the aforementioned Lee Byung-hun, uh, who is this bandit and hitman and kind of just like general sociopath. Uh, yep. And just we'll talk about the costume design later because it's one of my favorite <laughs> yep. parts of this movie. Uh, and finally, uh, Yoon Tae-gu, the weird, who is played by one of my favorite actors, actually, Song Kang-ho. Yes. Um, who listeners may know from Parasite uh, or from that vampire movie. Uh, yes. Is that called Thirst? The Thirst? I think thirst. it's Thirst, one yeah. word. Thirst, right, which oh, Danielle oh. and I watched um, a couple of months ago. And he's, he's like in all of that guy's movies. Like, he's in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. He's right. in Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. He's in The Host. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, right. And he is here host, playing, yeah. here just playing a kind of goofball character who has like a darker past beneath his like weird kind of happy-go-lucky persona. Yeah. So that's the setting. Uh, it's set in Manchuria in 1939, and I want to talk just a little bit briefly about Manchuria, just yeah. because I think probably a lot of people watching this movie don't really know that much about the setting, and you don't really have to. Uh, they sort of explain that uh, Manchuria, which is actually um, called Manchuko, mm-hmm. like generally speaking, yeah, uh, is a puppet state of the Japanese Empire uh, that was uh, founded in 1932. And it was founded illegally by the Japanese Empire. So it wasn't sure. recognized by the League of Nations, which later yeah. became the UN, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, so a lot of the, uh, the setting is, or a lot of the, the characters and, and world in this movie are informed by that setting, which is like this puppet state, this illegitimate state that is uh, very ethnically diverse. So... Uh, Manchukuo <sighs> was populated by um, mainly Han Chinese, mm-hmm. but uh, also Koreans. Uh, and the Manchu people were who it's named after were a minority. And then also Japanese, uh, Mongols, and white Russians, who are Russians who uh, fled Russia during uh, the revolution. And uh, 
it was a strange and chaotic kind of place. Um, One thing about the government there is that it was formed by a lot of intellectuals from Japan who were disillusioned with Japanese policies and thought that they could create a better uh, society and legal system in Manchukuo. Mm. Didn't really work out that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, a lot of a lot of bad shit and weird shit going on. Um, so there's the scene in the movie where there is a guy who is pretending to be a uh, Korean independence fighter who says right. that they're funding the the fight for independence with the opium trade when in fact he is actually um, working with the Japanese. Uh, so there is a Japanese paramilitary group called the Black Dragon Society, which was this ultra-nationalist far-right group that ba- that intentionally distributed opium in Manchukuo to basically pacify and make the population easier to control. Hmm. Uh, and also kind of did this thing where they were like, oh, everyone living here is like our, our Manchu people now, like <laughs> even the Han Chinese. Like, so this was sort of the Japanese empire's attempt to gain a foothold um, in China. And uh, Manchu is actually the homeland of the Qing dynasty emperors. And the last Qing dynasty emperor was, I believe, installed as like a figurehead to sort of create more of a sense of legitimacy. Uh, it didn't work. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, ultimately uh, collapsed. But I just wanted to give some background on the setting there. So, That's awesome. Like, I mean, it's not awesome history, but like, it's a cool lesson. Like, I had heard of the phrase Manchuria many times before this, obviously, but like, I did a little bit of like Googling about it while we were watching this movie, just so I had some context. But like, even then, I still didn't know like any of that stuff. And you can actually see, I think, a lot of what you just said permeate a lot of what's going on in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, for as early as that, like, first train scene where everybody just has these amazing costumes. It's like such a weird, wild, diverse range of different like looks and uh, feels for all these different mm-hmm. characters on this train that gets heisted early on and creates this like really, really colorful kind of look at everything. Um, that then immediately goes to shit because uh, the the bad of the movie um, mm-hmm. uh, hijacks the train and tries to like steal this map uh, for for a guy who I don't know if we ever really learn what his deal is. Do we like his sort of uh, patron in this movie? He's like working for the Japanese government in some capacity. The bad, the bads uh, like sort of patron guy who he's working for at the beginning. He the the bad oh. is like a hired gun. Yeah, he works for somebody. Yeah, he just he hires him. Yeah, to get the map. Um, but he says he like uh, he took him in when he was like a kid or something like that and right. trained him. Or, or yeah, when, when he, he was, was in a bad place, drunk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So just a couple of last things about uh, Manchu Kuo. Uh, basically, the the Japanese Empire intentionally spread that term uh, to create a sense of legitimacy. And uh, in current scholarly practice, the use of that term is is kind of fallen out of favor in favor of just the Northeast. Um, mm. describing the region of China. And in China, actually, uh, to this day, when people talk about Manchu Kuo, they preface it with the word Wei, uh, which means, like, so-called. Uh, mm. Or, like, or sure. fake. So, like, the the fake um, Manchuria, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, and very complex. A lot of really interesting history. A lot of, like, bad stuff that happened. Um 
But uh, yeah, I would encourage people to read more about it if they enjoyed the movie because um, a lot of uh, interesting history there. Yeah, absolutely. It feels very much um, this is not I'm sure this is very much intentional, but it feels almost uh, the setting itself feels almost of a piece with Indiana Jones, like like a place in conflict, a place in the middle mm. of mm. kind of war happening, a lot of things happening, a lot of very, very bad people doing terrible things. And we have like this adventure in the middle of it. Uh, it's certainly not an Indiana Jones movie by any means, but some pieces of that kind of stuck out for me. Uh, like having having this wild adventure in the midst of just the world being reformed and changed by horrible people and big forces like around it. it it's like even literally like on the eve of World War II, basically, yep. like from a political standpoint, <laughs> yeah. the way that like Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark is, because I think that takes place pre-World War II. I, I believe think. so, too. It's like right before. Uh, yeah, uh, very much. Yeah, of a piece with that as well, and and also some of the sort of adventures in the desert kind of scenes mm. and like the the visual iconography of it. Even though it's very, it's a very different desert. It's a very different you know kind of thing that's going on. But it felt, and also just maybe sort of the spirit of the movie uh, because it's a very fun movie, even though it's happening in this like pretty dark uh, and uneasy kind of uh, time in this this puppet state. Like it, it's like a really uh, like cheerful movie in a lot of ways, or at least a lot of it is like very like comedic and even slapstick at points. So it's it has some of that vibe to it that I found really interesting and actually pretty appealing in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, Tegu, uh, I think is the, despite the fact that he comes last in the name order for this movie is probably the heart and soul of the movie. He's and the main he's, character. Basically, oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because we follow him for most of the movie. So, yeah, I mean, with regard to the plot, I think there isn't actually that much to say. Because it's, <laughs> sure. It's in ways kind of complicated because you're sort of tracking like who is working for whom and like there's double crosses and things like that. But ultimately, it's pretty straightforward in that these three people uh, want this thing. And then everyone else also wants this thing. There's a group of bandits that are sort of just like this comic uh, relief group who yeah. are just sort of yeah. following from a distance and just watching like this just horse shit happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and then there's also the Japanese army shows up later. Um, so it's everyone wants this thing. And it's basically just a a chase to uh, to get the map and then get to where the map leads. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think actually one of the, I don't even know if I would call it a problem so much as it's just like an unexpected thing in this style of movie. Cause I feel like there is a blueprint for this style of like mad, 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 mad world style, <laughs> like chase mm -hmm. across the world yeah. storyline that we see in the West a lot. Um, where it's like every single faction is going to have a very unique identity and a very unique specific thing, and they'll be kind of one-dimensional, so you can keep track of them. This movie doesn't really have that, so it does get easy to lose track of people, but at the same time, I think, like, they just work better as a backdrop for the three main characters a little bit more. Mm, more Tegu and Chang Yi, because I think, actually, Dewan kind of... Yeah, um, Dewan is, like, the least characterized of these three characters, yeah. for sure. Yeah. He's just, just like, like the good guy. Not on screen very much, even. Like, right. Just a good he, he man just drops the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, maybe uh, that's a good jumping off point to talk about the character designs yeah. because uh, they're so fun and like so great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we talked about how uh, how 
Park Dewan is this like classic cowboy. He wears a duster. He has this cowboy hat. He has this like long rifle. He rides a horse. Um, but then Chang Yi is this really striking figure because he wears like this suit, but mm-hmm. he doesn't wear like a suit like fully done up and everything. He has the kind of like badass thing of like the the top button is open and like the collar is sort of spread over his suit jacket. Right. And it, his his whole like bearing his screen presence is so strong partly because i think that costume really sticks out against like the the browns and the the sandy uh background but also just because of the way he moves like it's like he is it it's an archetype that i've seen a lot in anime of like this kind of evil character who's just like (laughs) and like you know We'll just be standing there with their head cocked back and then like very suddenly like shoot someone and then just go back to looking like uh, disinterested and holding a knife jauntily in one hand while yeah. he walks towards somebody, which he does multiple times uh, yes. literally in this movie. And Constantly. it's so effective to characterize him as just like a bad guy. He also has a lot of earrings and I and I sort of and is like very like Final Fantasy haircut as well. Like very he like, looks like he's, <laughs> he looks like a Final Fantasy 15 character. He does. <laughs> um, and he has, I think, some like makeup on as well just to like make his eyes look. Yeah. Um, a little darker. Um, he has this little like thin mustache. The sometimes he'll like take his his jacket off and then he's wearing a waistcoat. Yes. And um, has these gloves, which are kind of important later on as yeah. we like realize yeah. uh, the truth behind them. But his whole like his definitely like product styled hair yes. <laughs> and his like smoking cigarettes and just like dressing in this like kind of snappy way. Um, like really contrasts him with the other two characters. Like he is like feels very strongly like uh, a city Mouse kind of character, like someone who is adapting to uh, the changes that are happening around him and just basically doing whatever it takes to survive. Uh, Even if if that means like blending in and like looking refined, uh, then he'll do that. Whereas the other two characters are sort of more like traditional Western uh, looking, except uh, (laughs) Tegu is not exactly that. Yeah. He's often wearing a lot of interesting headgear. In this movie, like right. and, he has several pilot different. hats. Yeah. Yeah, constantly mm-hmm. different. Like, yeah, the like 30s style aeronautic hats, uh, a mm-hmm. diving bell for one extended sequence. Oh my god, that's very good. <laughs> this is a so lot cool. of funny stuff. So <laughs> it's so good. I it that's maybe one of my favorite bits in the whole movie, actually. It's like the extended, like like fucking slapstick sequence of him with the diving bell on his head, just being like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is armor, I'm doing it. Like he's He's a really fun character, a really interesting character, and uh, I do like how different their styles are and how much they are differentiated in terms of not just costume design, but like you're saying, like movement and and even like speech and like cadence and everything like that. Like they're like I I've, I actually feel for um uh uh Wu Sung who who plays uh Jawan because like. There's not that much to do when you're just a good guy. Like you're yeah. just he's just like, oh, a good guy. Like there's not that much kind of going on there. Whereas, of course, like um, with the other characters, like they have so much like scenery chewing stuff to do and so much, you know, like 
being weird and being funny or being so bad that that just like looks like such a pleasure to play and to do mm-hmm. that. So I, I I almost worry that like, yeah, uh, Juwan doesn't have that much of a character. He just does good things. And it's like, OK, that's right. fine. That's fine. Like he's it's fine. It's not like he's a tortured hero or anything like that. He's no, just, he's, he's just, just a cowboy. He, he's yeah. an archetype. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, that's actually one place where I think the movie sort of is let down by its direct comparisons to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm. Because uh, Blondie, like the man with no name in um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, has a lot of definition to him yeah, for being the like good character. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Because he's this like weird sort of grifter who like in that movie, his whole shtick at the beginning is that he's got this whole racket where he picks a partner, works with them. They go into a town, get a bounty on their heads. He turns them in as the bounty hunter. And then when they're about to hang them in town, he shoots the rope down and then they move to another town and repeat the same process. So he's they're kind like, of the thief right. bandit kind of he's kind of both, you know, things yeah. going on. So if you're separating that into three distinct archetypes and three distinct characters, it's almost like, oh, you gave one person all the fun stuff to do. <laughs> as right. opposed to kind of like combining those things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the whole fight in the ghost market really like I think it gives Joan some stuff to do like visually, but also like it's so hard to do. This is going to sound like a tangent, but it circles back around. But like it's so hard to do like violence with guns in a way that is interesting and fun to watch sure, on screen. Yeah. Um, it's like one of the problems with like a lot of Jackie Chan movies a lot of times, like in his later career, where it's just like the bad guy ends up getting defeated by a gun. You know, they just mm, get shot or right, whatever. Right. And they do that same thing here in this movie during the ghost market scene, but they do a lot of like really good build up using uh, Tegu where there's that whole scene where he's getting his ass kicked by the really big guy with the hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, like, um, a- yeah, the guy with the dreadlocks. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's so that character's name is Bear. I love um, him. And yeah. he is played by Ma Dong Suk, who you might know from Train to Busan. Hell yeah. Oh, Hell I still haven't yes. seen that I yet, but that's cool. Familiar. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He is. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have much of a role in this movie, but maybe we'll do Train to Busan at some point because that that's one we of the few to. zombie movies that yeah. I actually really like, and he I, is I really so good it. in it. Yeah. yeah, it's that's a great film. But yeah, there's just that there's that fight with him in this movie where um, Dewan is like sniping people from off of a rooftop, and meanwhile uh, Tegu is just getting like. You see a shack in the background and then Tegu's like head just bursts through the top <laughs> of the roof of the shack because he's been like pushed out. So you don't see like the majority of this actual fight. And he's like, throw me a gun, throw me a gun. <laughs> and Dewan just like kind of lackadaisically like tosses guns in his direction, but not in a way that he can actually pick them up. And there's a whole fight built around it, which ends with him just like shooting bear like yeah. to death off screen. But they do such a like a good buildup of him getting his ass kicked and having fun with it and stuff like that. Like... They don't really give a lot of that to Dewan. Dewan, whenever he's on screen, his entire character archetype is just competent. He's just right. good. At what yeah. he he's just good at his job. Yeah. Um, and Song Kang-ho is just, like, so fun in this movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he just gets to be, like, a like a real goofball who's just, like, ah! Like, people are shooting at him, and he's just, like, jumping up and down like, like a cartoon character. Um. Like he, he is yeah. <laughs> he is basically like a cartoon character for most of this movie in terms of yeah. just like yeah. his reactions and uh and the way he acts and uh, his and his character you know like I don't know I feel like his character design communicates a lot because this is yeah. a guy who's like um 
fled from his old life, basically. And he has like all of these packs and like, he has this like a motorcycle with a sidecar with like all kinds of stuff in it. So he's like this kind of like nomadic guy with who's carrying all of this shit with him. Mm. And, uh, you know, unlike, um, Park Dilwan, who is sort of just like this lone cowboy with a horse and like a pretty streamlined design, yeah. uh, Taigu literally has baggage, like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, which is sort of his his uh, metaphorical baggage is slowly kind of revealed over the course of the movie. But there is this kind of side plot where um, we learn that uh, Park Dewan is pursuing Changyi because he believes him to be the finger chopper, yes. who is this notorious killer uh, who you know, chops off people's fingers. And, oh, word? I missed that when oh, yeah. I watched. <laughs> no, it's just a name. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, of course, it later turns out that Taigu is actually the finger chopper, and he kind of lets the mask drop at the end of the movie yeah. when uh, it's revealed that Changyi has been chasing him this whole time, not just to get the map, but because he cut his finger off in a knife fight and beat him. And he's kind of obsessed. Like his character motivation is just being the best. And just like, he wants to just like be better than everybody else and prove that he's better. Um, So he's obsessed with Tegu and, uh, and is chasing him like across the country. Yeah. The the reveal that Tegu is the finger chopper and is like actually the most competent gunslinger in Mm -hmm. the entire country is also just a deeply anime reveal at the end here. Yeah, top 10 anime betrayals. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's like the scene where um, at the, so basically the climax of the movie is um, Chengyi catches up to the, uh, the other two characters and says like, oh, I've lost everything. Like all of my men are dead. Uh, so here's a game we're going to play. Like we'll do a three-way duel and th- whoever lives is the best. And then he like, uh, Taigo is like, no, I don't care about being the best. You'd be the best. Like, why does <laughs> that matter? Best. It doesn't yeah. matter at all. It's like, get out of my face. And, uh, so, uh, Chinese is just kind of goading him into it by shooting his hat as he's trying to yeah. pick it up. Um, and then he's like, how about treasure? Would you fight for treasure? And he's just like, no, I don't care. Just like, leave me alone. I'm, I, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> and uh, finally, you know, goads him into it uh, when he like takes his glove off and reveals that he has like a, a metal finger. And there's that right. great bit of him like holding it up and like the wind whistling through it. Yeah. Uh, and this also, this whole scene is like the most direct that the uh, Sergio Leone mm-hmm. like uh, connections start to come in. Like the shooting the hat over and over again thing is straight out of. Yeah. I think that, I want to say that's either a fistful of dollars or for a few dollars more. Mm, the, yeah. the three-way Mexican standoff, the the uh, you dig, why am I the only one digging? Like this whole mm-hmm. thing is just straight up out of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, even the shots of their faces, which people might know from the meme. Of uh, the the faces all flipping between them over and over and over again as they stare at each other. Yeah, I, I want to say that this sequence is is honestly one of like the very few truly Western kinds of sequences in the whole movie. Mm. I really think mm. of this as like action adventure comedy that just mm-hmm. happens to have a lot of like fun Western trappings, like fun Western clothes, and a lot of you know like great shots of the desert and things like that. Uh, but like the pacing and the style and the 
you know, the so much of it. Like that, I, it's one of the main points for me for this movie. I think this movie is utterly beautiful. It's shot so beautifully. It's so incredible that actually it got a little exhausting for me at times. Like <laughs> I genuinely had to watch this in like yeah. a couple of settings I've, because I split it's it up so much. Two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is not like a bad thing. I'm not trying to knock this movie. I think it's gorgeous. It's just very rich. And Westerns are, are generally known for being very spare and sparse in their yeah. cinematography, like really kind of showing just huge vistas, right? With only a few people maybe in them, like a lot of very, very kind of spare shots that is beautiful in its own way. Uh, but so, so much of the movie is like this super, super, super rich and dense shots and like so much action and so much yeah. stuff packed into one frame that like, oh, it was like, oh my God, okay, here it's a Western, even though it's right. like other genres everywhere else, but here it's in this It's very shootout. urban for a Western. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, dense. Because, and so many of the fights take place like in settlements and in cities yeah, um, yeah. or in a train um, which i guess is or also, on a train which <laughs> that's is also western. pretty western yeah, yeah for God, to be fair i fucking yeah. love a train heist mm -hmm. it's like just train movies i mean talking about train movies snowpiercer which we did a while yep. ago yeah uh, also song also has yeah um Incredible. Uh, another thing too like in terms of the western comparison is like again like you said danielle this movie's just like nonstop, uh, fully packed with stuff. Whereas in especially Sergio Leone movies, Sergio Leone movies are like ninety percent build up and then ten percent mm -hmm. payoff yep. and like spread across three hours. Yeah. And yes. uh, whereas in this movie, the like the literal worst thing you can be in the good, the bad, the weird is a crowd because you're just immediately going to get shot by 30 bullets by yep. a guy from uh, across the map or something like that. Like uh, there's like just tons of scenes of just people getting fucking wasted by machine guns and uh they're like early on tegu basically bursts into the one of the train cars with a bunch of japanese soldiers and just like single-handedly murders 11 of yeah. them whereas <laughs> that is just like not what westerns used to do very much um and then yeah like on top of that this movie is two hours long or yes. it's two hours and two ten, ten minutes yeah. so yeah, it's a very it's a very packed, very long movie, and I totally understand why you might you know want to take a break. Yeah, and it's not a problem with pacing. Like I, I you know, there's there's plenty of of that good kind of roller coaster effect of up and down, up and down. You know, rising action, falling action. You know, plenty of conversations by firesides and in in campsites and things like that that mm. are very good for that. It's just honestly, I think for me, just a. Uh, an artifact of being like this richly framed and, sh you know, and shot and, and with like this much detail, like I kept kind of pausing to just look at shots because it's fucking gorgeous. Like this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful movie. Uh, so, so, so well shot. Uh, I think it was one of the most expensive movies ever made in Korea at the time. And it, it shows like just in terms of like, Oh, they built that whole set. Holy Christ, you know, like, oh, they built all of this. Oh, they actually like, you know, had incredible, incredible, uh, you know, resources put into things like costume and prop design to make everything look like very colorful, very saturated, very like just amazingly composed. There's that one shot when they first go to the ghost market, which I don't think we've talked about yet, but it's like the thieves basically um i don't know like but it's a black market where people sell stolen goods to each other yeah. and when they first enter the ghost market there's that really good shot that really stuck out to me because it says so much about this world and this universe and like the state of like where it is historically um that just talks about like banditry and you know colonialism and all this other stuff yeah. without necessarily saying it because this movie's just not interested in 
making that textual, but when Tegu walks into the ghost market for the first time, they're like carrying away a like fully excavated like Buddha statue, like a, yeah. I, forget, I don't think it's Buddha, but it's like, it's some um, uh, religious figure. And it's like this 80 pound, no, sorry, 80 ton <laughs> Uh, giant stone statue that they're just like hauling away, implying that like just regular ass thieves have stolen yeah. some giant cult- cultural artifact yeah. and are just like there to hawk it. And that's like the scale of stuff that we're talking about now. This is like, you know, like mid to late 30s, uh, early 40s is when about this movie takes place. And it's just that era of like the old world is being completely consumed by like mechanization, industrialization and all that stuff yeah. and colonialized like colonialism in general as it turns out but also it just looks super super striking on screen um because it just gets across the scale of you know what this movie is trying to evoke uh in a very fun way to me yeah yeah god i want to talk about the camera work that uh, portrays all this stuff a little more because there are so many like camera effects, like so many uses of zooms and pans. And I think they did like some interesting stuff with the camera for like filming some of the action scenes and the chase scenes. Um, Like they had the camera like alongside the actors. I'm not really, because I don't know enough about how camera work in movies actually works to speak to this, but Danielle, like, Mm. can you maybe talk about some of the techniques that you saw used there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, any action sequence is probably going to have like hundreds of shots and they like it could be any mix of techniques. You might have some handheld stuff or you might have some like steady cam stuff and you might have some crane shots. I imagine they use a lot of cranes in making this and actually like Hmm. that gets that like big swooping effect a lot of the time, like smooth kind of Mm. swooping effect stuff happens usually with cranes or something like a crane shot. So, yeah, I saw a lot of that. And there's just a lot of camera movement, especially in these scenes and in like, I'm thinking also of like the opium den scene where like, we're just, we're always constantly panning or zooming or tracking just kind of around at what's going on and how much stuff is going on. So yeah, it's probably a really, really, really dense and intense mixture. And I would have loved to, I mean, this is me with every movie, right? But like, I would have loved to like sat in the cutting room and like see mm. what they decide to use and what gets cut and what like, you know, gets kind of put together with what, because that's my favorite part of filmmaking secretly is editing. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's oh, just yeah, so no, incredible. No, it's great. That's <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. movies are made in the cut, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. So oh. much stuff is, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's so, so, so um, I, and I think this is part of what made me tired at times and have to watch it in like different kind of bits and pieces. But I will I will sit there like not counting shots, but sometimes I will sit there and count shots and like think about mm. like, OK, we're going from this close up to this wide shot, to this medium shot, to this crane shot, to this, to this, to this, to this. And like, good Lord, the amount of, of kind of stuff on the screen and the amount of work that goes into making that very readable, because it is extremely readable given how much action is happening like they may have had to have like you know three units on this like doing different stuff uh uh with like various shots and various like camera techniques so i'm so fucking impressed (laughs) by all of this uh i guess is is the way i'll sum that up 
on that note, actually, I just wanted to make sure we mentioned it because I think that you could probably speak to this better than any of us. But I know Colin wanted us to yes. talk about the intro to the movie. Colin couldn't be with us on this week's episode, despite the fact that he loves this movie, too. Um, but he says here in the show notes uh, that do me a favor. Just make sure it's mentioned on the pod how much I love this movie's opening sequence and the score. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. OK, so the score. uh I forgot that <laughs> Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood was in this movie. And when that hits, it's like, it hits during like the big chase at the end when like the army is chasing them and like the bandits are chasing them and uh, Park Chang-Yi's uh, gang is is chasing them. And it's just so good. This instrumental arrangement of Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood, the Nina Simone slash animals mm. uh, hit that... Like, I just love that song generally, but yeah. like, uh, the way that it's used here is like so perfect. It's so good. It's so, so good. Yeah. I'm going back the and movie. watching, uh, the intro here. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just watching it as we, as we chat about this. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, like the movie in general, the music is actually like, I find pretty striking just by virtue of like every time a song starts in this movie. It sounds like an Ennio Mor. I can never remember if it's Ennio Morricone or if it's just Ennio Morricone. But the the composer for uh, most of Sergio Leone's movies, he did basically every spaghetti western you've ever seen. <laughs> he probably did. The, the, yeah. Uh, he did the Ecstasy of Gold, which is the big like oh, song from the Good, oh, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yes, 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 mm. yes. Um, a lot of the music in this movie starts off that way with that very like, oh, uh, uh, like kind of uh, driving beat to it uh, that Ennio Morcone used to do. I hope I'm saying his name right. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, but then, he's like, Italian. So it, okay. if you want to do it like the Italian way, it would be Mario Morcone. But uh, you Morricone. know, yeah. it's it's probably Morcone. Um, yeah. And then it will usually then switch over to like, also, here's some synth. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, right, right. In a way that I think is just really fun and also evokes this movie's chaotic energy um, way better, which I think fits way better because like the good, the bad, the ugly, like the ecstasy of the gold, all that stuff is like designed for those long language Ooh, shots of the desert. Yes. And we get those in this movie, but they're much shorter. And they're much less like the focus in this movie than those other things would be. So then we switch over to the kind of synthy stuff and the weirder stuff. And like you said, the that one uh, instrumental version of Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood for the action. And I think it just lines up perfectly in a movie that is very much about like its movement and its energy. Yeah. Also famously uh, composed the theme song for The Thing. The very, yes. very like oh, moody yeah. and uh, minimal kind of beautiful soundtrack for that as well yeah he he's done like just he did a lot more than just spaghetti westerns for sure he was he was all over the place i think he might have just passed away very recently actually i'm not actually 100 sure uh but he no he's among fucking us? awesome no he's still he's still among us he's 91 and uh still okay. still here still in the world still, uh, that's awesome still looking good still still looking good you know they say italians do it better and they're correct I'm just kidding. Right. Yeah. He did the Hateful Eight yep. soundtrack. That's right. Because <laughs> yeah. they brought him back for like, hey, hey, we're making a Western. Yep. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think, didn't he like do something with Daft Punk like 10 years ago too? Oh, oh did he? I, I would believe it, frankly. He's still going. He's still uh, making music. It's really cool. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking at his uh, most recent stuff. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing too, I wanted to say regarding like the editing and production yes. of this movie is I, I just learned this. I was just looking through the Wikipedia. Apparently there's two endings to this movie. Oh yeah. Oh, shit, there's really? the, um, yeah, there's the international version, which is the one that is on iTunes, which is really annoying that the only place you can watch this movie legally is on iTunes. It was like a whole fucking thing. It meant that Danielle and I couldn't do the thing that we do where we share movies yeah. over Discord because yeah. iTunes has DRM. So if you try and capture oh. your screen, it just shows a black screen. So like, guys. I got it on, I bought it on Amazon Yeah, same. Prime. You can only buy it on Amazon. Oh, so it's like 14 oh. bucks. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I just rented it. Yeah, it's um, fine. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there are two versions uh, the one that showed in the Korean release is like a little longer and it shows uh Taigu getting up and he has like like metal under his jacket so he like survives yeah. and uh, the fistful but, of dollars ending yeah. 100%. and then goes and kills Chang Yi uh and then the Japanese army shows up and he you know scares them off with dynamite and uh then he continues hunting for the treasure. But it, it's if you watch the credits of this movie, like you see that actually Tegu and um, uh, uh, Dewan survived. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's a guy like marking off uh, uh, Park Changi's wanted poster with the dead. And then like the Tegu has like a much higher bounty now. <laughs> it's uh, seven times <laughs> yeah. higher. And Doan just like sees it. I'm like, has a scarf over his face. So it's, he's just like kind of laying low and it's just like, Oh, okay. Um, so once again, he is chasing after him, which I don't think we specified this movie ends with them all sh- like shooting the oh, shit right, out of each yeah. other. They all get the fucking blasted. <laughs> yeah. uh, they both actually, I think the good and the bad both shoot for Taigu when mm-hmm. they first start shooting and he just like pulls both of his guns out and is trying to shoot at them and he gets like totally fucking they gang up on him bla- yeah because he's like they're like oh wait this guy is like a, a fucking king a goat <laughs> uh, that's how I feel about that actually honestly to be completely yes honest with you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Song Kang Ho yes. yeah yeah no he's great um, awesome. he's like really fun he's yeah I still need to see Parasite Oh, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, have you seen okay. The Host? No, this is, sorry, I that's have a not tangent. seen The Host, but also a good one to see. Yeah. I, I am, imagine I would love to see that movie. I okay. uh, uh-huh. We watched the, the sort of beginning just to talk about with some of Colin's uh, thoughts. I, I think what he's talking about isn't the very, very beginning. That sort of pre-sequence uh, with the bad, but more uh, the sort of beginning with the train and all these wide shots of the train, and then this gorgeous, long, probably, uh, I imagine, oh, steady yeah. cam shot of behind the shoulders uh, of going through the entire train with like this swagger of just like, yeah. I'm doing it, He's like, it, bro. Cigarettes, candy, yeah. <laughs> rice cakes, rice cakes, candy. <laughs> and then so one guy good. is like, hey, I'll take seven. And he just pushes him <laughs> back down. <laughs> he just seat. like, ah. <laughs> Fucking leave fucking. Me and he's still calling uh, for people to buy it. Uh, yeah, and it's such an interesting shot because it's it's over the shoulders, but it's actually pretty high in a lot of places. Like it goes mm. higher and it goes lower as it goes through different parts of the train. So it's like not only like a really cool steady cam shot or what I imagine is a steady cam shot, but also like is also doing a whole bunch with uh, with height and physical uh, distance. So it's really God, it's so good. It's really good. Sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack there. I just uh, I just no. had to give more props to the cinematography. It's it's delicious. Really good. And also the shot of Park Chang-yi on the tracks 
Like just lighting a cigarette. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Again, just like deeply anime. Just yeah. like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm standing in the middle of a train track while a train is coming. Who cares? <laughs> a really cool guy. Like, he's a cool uh, guy. That's his thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's his character arc in this is that cool he's just really cool and extremely hot. Oh, mm-hmm. Jesus. The, his, his shirtless a- scene. Woo. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, right? Jesus Christ. Oh, Holy fuck. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Lee Byung-hoon used to be a model. Yes. Which oh. probably explains his flair for just kind of, like, striking poses and kind of, like, cocking his head in these really, mm. um, really striking ways. Uh, and he's also been in a number of American films as well. He was yeah. in the G.I. Joe movies that came out about oh. uh, 10 years ago. <laughs> Is he... What's his name? Storm Shadow? He's Storm in Shadow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he okay. also was the T-1000 in Terminator Genesis in 2015. Yeah, I saw that. Oh. And, uh, I did not. In... No, me neither. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's done some, some acting in, uh, in the U.S. And he has several films that are on the list of highest grossing films in South Korea. One of them being mm-hmm. this. And, um, yeah. A few more, one of them, uh, including Master, which is uh, like another action film um, that's sort of like a three character uh, setup. Oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. He's, um, I mean, like we've said at this point, I think, like we've talked a lot about Tegu. We talked about him very briefly in this movie, but just like, goddamn, just really, really fun when he's on screen. Um, again, not super deep. Just because that's not what this movie is interested in doing. It's not like interested in making incredibly complex characters. They're all kind of archetypes of various styles. But when he's on screen, he really does just take over. Um, it's kind of a cheesy opening, that very cheesy scene with him in the dark yeah, in the yeah. uh, in that one guy's house and like talking about like bandits don't need train tickets. And he like takes his knife and cuts the train <laughs> ticket in half and stuff like that. He's just like fucking chewing scenery oh, yeah. so fucking much throughout this movie, uh, especially at the beginning. And then, yeah, we get to, I think, the crowning achievement of uh, this movie and just cinematography cinema, in general. Cinema in general, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where he's like, uh, you know, in his room having a nightmare thinking about Tegu, which is the first flash we get mm. to the idea that Tegu might be a badass. Um, and then he wakes up and he's wearing, again, this movie takes place in like mid 1930s, late or early 1940s. And he's wearing like this fucking incredibly modern, super tight boxer briefs, like Calvin <laughs> Klein looking ass. Um, this is an just underwear like, commercial. <laughs> it really <yeah>. is. <laughs> Uh, an underwear commercial where he like throws a knife at a centipede on the wall and then shoots the knife deeper oh into the wall. Oh my God. <laughs> that scene. Oh, God. oh my God. His abs. Uh, Can we just talk about the abs? Can we just for Jesus one second? Christ. Just for a second. Just for a second. I mean, we are verging into movie stars or hot territory. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. But I mean, he do be he do be cut though. Yeah. But that's like this. That's what this scene is trying to convey to us, though. Yeah. Also, is right. like it's important to talk about in the context of the film and li- the language of cinematography. Exactly. The I just wanted to talk is, about the lighting on his He's abs. a tortured sociopath <laughs> yeah. who is hot, uh-huh. who is like calculated to appeal to uh, a sort of depraved uh, segment of the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or everyone. Perverts, yeah. <laughs> or everyone, actually, yeah. <laughs> it even has that like kind of like not not shoulder length, but 
longer, bl- like deeply black hair and everything he like has that. Just... Yagami hair. <laughs> <laughs> he has cool, like shrug your like your head and like his hair will flip over kind of hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Oh my god. Um. But yeah, and then he and then he takes like a sip of whiskey out of that glass with like. That, two fingers held on to it and everything like that. That whole scene is just so gratuitous and it is mm-hmm. so perfect for, for what this movie is. And uh, I, I enjoyed it a great deal. Yeah. Just like I enjoyed the movie a great deal. Yeah, mm. it's, it's extremely good. I, okay, I just want to, I need to bring up one, one bad thing. One negative. Okay. One potential yeah. negative. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And I'm very sorry because this might just be me. Um, but I have EMT brain and I can't not see things a certain way. And like, Okay. All right. I'll just say some of the things uh, that that uh, Doan does to Tegu when he first kind of meets him and like captures him are like really horrifying. <laughs> like really <laughs> horrifying. Like he he causes like a horrific motorcycle accident first of all, which always just scares me based on how many of those I've seen and and attended. And then he right. like ties him up and basically drags him through the fucking desert. And then he like doesn't really help when he needs water and it's just like it's played for laughs because everything about Tegu until you know the end until the reveals is like goofy as shit and very funny and very fun but like I really felt bad for him and it made me really not like Duwan like let alone he's like a paper thin character of like Mr. Good Guy but I think like what he does here is like really shitty <laughs> i just, just like, didn't torturous. like it i just didn't like Don't it one is canceled i think he's canceled Shit. uh yeah actually i was looking over like the critical reception of this movie and apparently one of the chief complaints at the time which almost feels trite by today's standards <laughs> sure. even just like sure. 12 years later but was that the movie is almost too violent for its really kind of jaunty tone hmm um, oh yeah, which, a lot of people die. Yeah, a lot movie. of people get oh, yeah. blown away. And, and, yeah, and get fucked up. Like the scene where uh, what's his name, Mangil. Uh, yes. Oh my god. Friends. Yes. Oh my god. That scene's horrifying. It's bad. That yeah. is a scene that I was like, this didn't need to be like. Like we get it. He's a bad guy. Like you didn't yeah. need to be like stabbing him for like fifteen straight minutes. Right. You know? and, then, and then trying to cut his finger off and then having and to stop because it's too, the yeah, it's too dull. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, that's that's rough. The the scene in the um, fake brothel, the opium den oh, thing. Yeah. The what the like the, the ass stuff. Yeah, they definitely do yeah. kill two different men in this movie by shoving big giant spikes up their asses to death. Um, that does happen. Like they, in they used to scene. joke twice, which is kind of like, yeah. right. like there are these kids there who I guess he's trying to save. Um, and he's just like, kids, close your eyes before I kick this spike up through this man's body in his mm-hmm. asshole. Uh, and then they do it again. And it's like, okay, <laughs> well, the second time they do it too, there is like definitely kind of like an almost, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he's just like, what? Homophobic kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, because uh, one of the kids shoved it up his butt and he's just like, whoa. And then, yeah. of course, the Japanese army finds these two guys with spikes up their butts. And it's just like a pervert did. <laughs> right. <It's just laughs> like that line. That line. Uh, yeah. I this is also the scene, too, where I'm, I'm kind of conflicted about it because, like, I feel like there's a different way to frame this stuff in a way that I have 
traditionally enjoyed in the past and like think could be better because I love the series Golden Kamui, which is uh, if people have not uh, heard of Golden Kamui this like and you like this movie, go read Golden Kamui. Uh, it's a manga. There's also an anime out there. There's two seasons of it um, about like people trying to hunt for treasure in Hokkaido. Uh, the sort of it's an area of Japan that was like uh, kind of a home to a indigenous people who lived near like near Japan, but weren't part of the Japanese empire at first. Uh, and then actually a lot of Russians ended up there as well. Russian partisans uh, fighting for independence and stuff uh, moved there. But that is also a series that plays a lot with like uh, hot guys uh, getting into weird murdery hijinks with each other and like getting horny about murder <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that, but that is like an unapologetically like queer series with a lot of stuff like that. Whereas this, I think, is much more played for like a gay panicky kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, in a way, but um, if people see that scene and are like. I don't know, uh, put off by it or whatever, but also like this movie in general and this movie's vibe, I really recommend people try Golden Kabooey. Nice. Oh, that sounds, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I think this movie was a lot of fun and yeah. I, I've, I've run out of things to say about it. <laughs> personally. I mean, I could probably go on for four hours about like every shot, but I won't because that would be very, very boring <laughs> for everyone but me. So I won't do that. Just beautiful. I, I That's the main thing that I kind of got from it was just how fucking gorgeous uh, this was and how beautifully shot it was. And yes, um, how much fun at least two of our, our three leads had with it. <laughs> Again, I feel bad for uh, Zheng uh, Wusung because I feel like he just didn't have that much to do as the Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Like, even though I think Mr. Goody Two-Shoes is actually a total asshole based on what I <laughs> said earlier anyway. But yeah. But he's a total asshole, and he's not framed like a total asshole the way Blondie is in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. The yeah. Good, the Bad, and the Ugly understands that Blondie is an asshole. He's a, he's a, he's a plays dick, with it. yeah, and it's like, I don't know, I wouldn't want this dude hanging out with me if I knew he, like, dragged somebody through the desert. It's really <laughs> shitty. It's really mean. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Uh, but yeah. How about you, Merritt? Any Any final thoughts? Uh, no, I think we've gone over pretty much everything. Uh, it's a fun movie. Yeah. It uh, some, is maybe like a, a little too much fun for one sitting. Yes. Uh, yeah. Almost. <laughs> for two hours and ten minutes. It's rich. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a long movie. For, for an action movie that is, like Stephen has said, it has way more action than most Westerns uh, and is, in fact, more of an action movie with like sort of a Western theming. It's a it's a long movie. Uh, it's just kind of nonstop. So uh, I did watch it in in two sittings, but yeah. Uh, yeah, really, really enjoyable. Just like fun action movie, and um, yeah, with with so, some cool set pieces and uh, characters. Sometimes you just like a fun movie, you know. Can we just have like a fun movie for once? Just a fun, just See, like a fun uh, movie. A fun fun. It, we, we joke. We have a lot of fun here at fanbyte.com. But at the same time, I will say one as my kind of like closing thought, I guess, about this. It It is nice to have a reminder that, oh, yeah, people used to make like fun action mm-hmm. movies that weren't like completely bleached of all character. And, yep, and that weren't just about like superheroes and like American military shit. Yeah. Yep. One hundred percent. Yeah. That was yep the the. Marvel movie comparison is definitely strong oh, uh, yeah. with this. That's a that's a for super sure good point. I I like I want to think about e- like watching this movie like eating a massive ice cream sundae. 
Like, mm. you gotta pace yourself. It's real sweet. It's real rich. <laughs> but you gotta pace yourself a little bit because you don't you don't want to like go down. You know, you wanna you wanna stay in it to win it. So uh, yeah, that's my advice. <laughs> I really wanted to say something there, but I'm I'm gonna hold that to myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep yeah. that for the director's cut yeah. of this. All right. Okay, that's, well, that's it. That's uh, all I'm gonna say. <laughs> yeah, let's let's wrap up then. So, uh, go to fanbite.com/podcasts to hear all our other shows, which we recently split up into a yeah. bunch of different uh, feeds, so that you can tailor your listening experience to your preferences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can go to Fanbyte Media to follow us there on Twitter because Twitter won't give us Fanbyte. Uh, just at Twitter. Tell them to give us fanbite. Yeah. Uh, Stephen is on Twitter <laughs> at Stephen Strom. Danielle is on Twitter at Danielle R.I. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Merritt K. And uh, does anyone else have anything before we go? Uh, uh, people can... Oh, sorry. No, you no, no. Stephen, go for it. Uh, I was going to say, um, check out fanbyte.com slash Discord to join our mm, Discord community. Yeah, we have a lot of really cool people uh, all together there, and it's another great way, besides Twitter, uh, to keep in touch with like all the different things that we're doing, because we like to uh, notify people there and share pet pics a lot. Yes. Yeah, great pet pics, which mm-hmm. um, you enjoy uh, to witness. So, <laughs> yes, I agree. You adore to behold. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So until next week. I love these spin-off podcast ideas. You adore to behold. Love it. You adore to behold it. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.